Welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. I'm your host, Mary Catherine Ham. I am underprepared and attempting to be over-caffeinated. I'm not quite there yet. Honestly, I'm at the end of my rope, guys. 36 weeks pregnant. It's almost Christmas. Things are The wheels are falling off the wagon over here. Vic, my co-host, Vic Mattis of The Free Beacon. How are you doing, Vic? Hello, Mary Catherine. Uh, I'm fine. Obviously not feeling the same sort of pressures that you're feeling. Physically, I'm I'm a little slight. I'm slightly congested, but I, like I say, nothing a couple martinis won't fix. Naturally, and and this is the time of year for annual lunches. I don't know if you've ever fallen into these. Like you know, it's just every December somebody's always oh, saying, "You got to do our annual lunch. We got an annual lunch to do." So I got one of those today, this afternoon. Inclement weather, be damned. Yes. That's well, what I will say. This is yeah. this is Washington D.C. inclement weather, which means it's cold and drizzly. Yeah, shutdown. You have a government shutdown, like it's March 2020, because it's drizzly. We discussed this yesterday because I thought we were going to come here in person. We weren't sure about the weather situation. It's right for for listeners outside the Beltway where we are right now. The temperature is right on the border at 33 degrees. So you don't know if the rain's going to turn into yeah a little sleepy. Well, and let me just yeah. say that I. I'm a giant coward about driving in wintry conditions. Is this a general Southern thing, yes. meteorological? No, this, it, it's also, it's not, it's actually not cowardice. It's like understanding your capabilities, which is, I'm not trained for this. I was never trained for this. And I have not taken the time to be trained with it. Once I moved to DC, which is the farthest North I've ever lived, it was like 10 years before I stopped using a Blockbuster card to clean my windshield. Like I'm, I'm not fit for this. Okay. I had a I had a light leather jacket for like seven years living here, and then someone informed me that I would be warmer if I bought a warmer jacket. So like it's just I'm not. It's just a theory. It's not who I am, and so I just I just I take the the road not taken, the path not taken, yes. which is just sitting at home. So yes, I can't I can't commit to a lot of traveling on a day when there might be a wintry mix, even though I know. That we're probably calling everything off because for no reason, because it's not really going to exist and it doesn't really for, exist. So two things. One, it is true the difference between people from your part of the country and in people north. I wouldn't necessarily say north of the Mason-Dixon line, but certainly north of like from New Jersey and north from there. So my father-in-law, Dr. Bob Dwyer from Connecticut, a, yeah. Connecticut, a Connecticut native, we had a big blizzard here back in 2009. And we were supposed to go over to my brother-in-law who lived out in Winchester. And I'm like, well, obviously we're not going. And he's like, no, 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 we're going. Why we're just would gonna we shovel not go? Out. <laughs> and just, you know, we spent the whole morning into the early afternoon shoveling a path onto the main road. And then he's like, okay, well, bring a shovel with you in the trunk in case, you know, your car slides into some ditch or something. Why would I do this? No, this sounds And yet terrible. we did. And yet... We did. This sounds okay. terrible. I, That's I did. Yes. I, I did. I've never had like a, a really bad experience, but I did have to drive in a sudden snowstorm once from Raleigh to Durham, which is about 25, 20, mm-hmm. 20 miles or so, maybe a little less than that. It takes about 25, 30 minutes. That was very scary. I didn't love it. I'm not terrible at it. I'm a decent driver in general. I just, uh, I decline. I decline to take these chances. And Nobody can drive well on ice. So like that's just out of the- Oh, no. That one of the, one of the amazing things is people who drive SUVs or anything with all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, whatever, you know, the ice does not 
you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make care easier when you're in those cars on ice. It does not care. You know, well, I and mean, that's, that's one of the things too. I pride myself on knowing what the limitations of my car and myself are. And so I'm actually just helping by not being on the road because you don't want me to be one of those SUV drivers who thinks they yeah. can do whatever they want to do. And you're doing like 360s. That's, that's not me. Although I did used road. to drive a little Volkswagen Bug, a 68 Bug. And those were great. Uh, oh, really? Those are great in the snow because the weight is in the right place. So occasionally when North Carolina would have a big dumping of snow, which doesn't happen that often in Durham, my dad, who worked at the newspaper and they have to get the paper out, would go around town and pick people up in the bug because the bug. That's so cool. The bug was the best vehicle for this for yeah. this weather condition. And a bunch of people, you know, they couldn't work remotely back then. So he'd pick up a bunch of people to put up, put out the paper and drive them to the paper and they'd put the paper out. <laughs> were, were you sad to, I assume you traded it in, you sold it? That one got sold. People used to drive by our house and come and try to buy it from us because it yeah, was- Yeah, a real, a real Volkswagen yeah. bug from like the 60s. Yeah, it was bright it was blue. Something. It was gorgeous blue and shiny. It had a little metallic in yeah. it. Beautiful. Had its problems. <laughs> <laughs> the the brake line went one time while I was driving it. That was uncomfortable. <laughs> it it needed a lot of a lot of warming up, a lot of coaxing. My brother, who was two years younger than I was, hated that we drove this thing to school. <laughs> it was so loud. There it's was very cool. No though. power steering. You know, it's yeah. I I really got my uh, I got a lot of practice. Maybe that's where oh, that's where the arm muscles originally came from. That was my original my original arm workout was driving yeah. that sixty eight bug. Now it was, it was a cool little car, but it we did eventually sell sell it when my mom drove it for a while, and then we sold it. That's sad. <laughs> I, I, that, those are real cars, man. Yeah, it was in German engineering. I won't go back into the the <laughs> genesis of the car, but I'm just gonna say, yeah, yeah. German engineering. The trains run on time, and the Volkswagen they did. runs for a long they, time. They did. Now I wanted to ask you. The second thing was, yes. how are you? How are the kids? And did you did they get a two hour delay? We're good. We got a one-hour delay. Oh, going okay. rogue. So That's chaos. It it's was, either two or it two or close. It was chaos, and drop-off was chaos because when it's raining, everyone decides they can just stop wherever they want to to drop kids off. And I'm like, no, you go to the normal place, and the children walk in the rain. They're fine. So, so they're in school. And as a 36 weeks pregnant woman, I'm of course containing my emotions about people stopping in the wrong place really well as you can imagine you and mean like the 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 kiss and drop as they call it yes. for the, the yes do you know my my kid said one time when i was yelling at people from my car she said mom did the can the other drivers listen to you when you say stuff like that they didn't know if i was actually communicating with them oh I'm, I'm assuming you weren't i'm assuming the windows were up yes the windows yes. were, especially at school i don't want to do yeah that. these are parents you know if, you have to if see you're in a people. situation did I mention this the other day? We were at the at the Army Navy tailgate, and and some guy tried to U-turn in the just completely stopped traffic trying to get to the tailgate, and some dude just decided he was going to get crosswise with everyone. Oh boy! And this is where you need the likes of Steve to lean out the the mm. window and very authoritatively tell this man that he cannot do this. <laughs> he would have listened to Steve. Oh no, he did. That's what that's what happened. That's actually what happened. <laughs> and the the whole row of cars is like slow clapping. Just, Steve, just slow clapping. Yeah. So he just got out of it. Did he point? Did he point yeah. at guys? No, there was said, aggressive you, you pointing to... and instructing yeah. about which way he was allowed wow. to drive. Wow. Okay. So 
back on the home front, I have given up on a dream. I think I mentioned oh. I might. The, Which one? The wreaths are out. We're not doing outdoor wreaths. The wreaths are out as in they're not outside the house. No. They're out they're just, as in they're, they're just out you're not doing it. As an okay. option. I'm not right. doing it. It's I okay. I investigated. I thought it would be easier. I guess people either don't have screens or they take their screens off and store them for a while while they put the wreaths outside because our our wreaths are... Oh, yeah. You can't... Because right. You, yeah. What are, how are you going to put like the suction cups on the screens or whatever? You can't do that. I don't know what you're doing. And our, we don't have a sash that opens from the yeah. top. So it's like, it's a whole thing. And I was like... That you're doing what? You candles? Know what? I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't care that much, it turns out. And so I got myself a new batch of candles and they're on the windowsills. <laughs> and it took like, I don't know, 17 minutes to set them up. So <laughs> now I'm happy. You know, you, you know what would be impressive is if you add actual candles. Well, that would be impressive, Vic. But... Okay. Not for do my you, homeowner's insurance. Do you, yeah, I was going to say, do you remember? I mean, you would see pictures from like the olden days of Christmas trees yeah, with candles. Real candles on a it's Christmas tree. On a tree. I won't even do incand really? I won't even do incandescent bulbs, which I had my whole childhood. Yeah. But no? I bought accidentally right. one oh. incandescent string of lights and was like, I can't put these on a real tree. No. My anxiety will be through the roof. Unless you were sitting in front of the tree, right? That's it for you. Otherwise, man, no, the LEDs. You are. should have seen the lights we had on our tree as children, man. Those things were burning up. They yeah, were and, burning and, up. And were, were they gaudy? Because when I was a kid, I remember early on we had gaudy lights. Oh, yeah. It was Jersey. But it was like the, the big fat bulbs of different colors. all colors, blinking, yes. All sorts of Some things. of ours, we had a, we, this is why I've talked about my poor mother hating our Christmas tree. With good reason. Because it was the string of lights that was many decades old. Yeah. And so some of the lights were incandescent and opaque and various colors. Others had been bought to replace ones of those that were clear and various uh, yeah. colors. Yes. Some of them blinked. Some of them did not. <laughs> and then I remember, this is a sign of how hot the bulbs were. There was one that I liked. It was my favorite. It was orange. With a white stripe around the middle, and I was like a creamsicle. Uh, yes, I can picture it. It had a or it had a white stripe around the middle, but that's only because the the pigment had been like burnt away. I mean, it was like, <laughs> oh, this is a hazard. Wow. But but I loved it. I loved it. I loved our ugly ugly tree. Yeah, did I mention in when Kate grew up, her mother, who so you know prizes her tree, and it's a beautiful tree. You know, ornaments. You know. They're all positioned a certain way and they all have a story, right? Yes. So what she did was she bought a small fake tree and just let the kids go nuts. Just that's, here that's you go. What you gotta do. Go crazy. Okay. Yeah. It's like it's like, okay, you guys yeah. enjoy yourselves over yeah. here. I think all right, I guess we're gonna do some news. We should do uh, that. Yeah. We should do that. Quick note: We don't have to talk about this story, but I just came across oh, it, and I wanted to talk about it. Believe I me. wanted to inform everyone yeah. that First Lady Jill Biden, this is CNN reporting, is ready for another run for the White House. So good news on that front. <laughs> I just think it's funny that this is framed as the First Lady is ready, but the reason we're talking about this is not because that Biden needs to consult her and like have her support, but because like he needs her. I think in some ways. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. good to know. It's good yeah. to know that she's there for him. But look, I don't. I, mean, I don't think this is just a moral support kind of thing. But it says that uh, seven people familiar with Jill Biden's thinking told CNN that her private conversations about another run now match her publicly enthusiastic persona, 
whereas in in the fall she had been more skeptical. What's the headline? The doctor is in. Is that the headline? No, you know what's funny about this story <laughs> actually? Doctor is not used in her title. That's very interesting. Are they going to get uh, a complaint about that? Say what you will about Mehmet Oz as a candidate <laughs> in Pennsylvania for the Senate seat. It would drive me nuts because there was a debate and they'd call him Mr. Oz. But then, you know, these are, you know, but then the media would always refer to Dr. Jill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, the guy was a thoracic surgeon. Actually a yeah. surgeon, but. Yeah, say what you will, but he was a thoracic surgeon. So I, I don't, I don't blame Biden at all for thinking, you know what, I'm going to have another go at it and I'll be here till I'm about 86 or however old I'm going to be. No, and like, like you said, one of, one of the benefits. The yeah. One of the benefits of the midterms is that. He can very much make that argument. Like, I didn't mess this up. Look at this. I, I think I think the knives were out and the media was ready to turn. There were a bunch of different stories that came out in mainstream media just before Election Day talking about how bad things were getting. And suddenly, they're gone again. Yeah, he's not so bad, it turns out. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to Sam Bankman-Fried. <laughs> Sam Bankman-Fried arrested. I believe we talked about that on the show arrested is in the Bahamas still at a Nassau jail. He is. Awaiting a hearing in February for extradition. So he will be there for a while. He was denied bail in a very... <laughs> let me let me just give you the contrast here. The Wall Street Journal headline is prosecution of Sam Bankman-Fried could rise or fall on, an, on intent. The New York Post headline, Sam Bankman-Fried's family reportedly called prison to request vegan meals. <laughs> Yeah, the, I like to get that kind of variety in my coverage. I, how, those are those are two very important stories. They're equally important, equally important to us and to our to our listeners, as our own Phil Caldwell reported yesterday. So the prison that Sam Bankman-Fried is being held in is called Fox Hill. It was notorious because of an expose from a couple of years back that basically said the place was infested with rats. You know, yep. your bath your bathroom is a bucket, and inmates were complaining of bed sores because there were no beds. Ooh. But the uh, the commissioner, Mr. Don Clear, says things are much better since that expose. And and so so we'll see what happens, but the whole thing about requesting the vegetarian or vegan meal, it reminded me of the poor Lisa Simpson when she tries to become a vegetarian. Yeah. And then she asks, you know, lunch lady Doris, you know, is there anything here without meat? And lunch lady Doris says, "Ah, oh, you can try the meatloaf." You know. Okay. You know, I mean, what really, what are they serving there? I, it's no. not, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting if he can survive, shall we say, between now and February in these conditions. Yeah. Not you know, but, but again, I, yeah. Not going to be a fun run for him. His, his parents were in the courtroom and apparently from some reporting, his, his mother laughed when he was referred to as a fugitive because that was their, their argument was, well, we can't give him bail because this guy's on the lamb, she laughed. You know, his parents are both Stanford professors who are down there with him. They also took in money from this scheme. Um, and and they're sort of hovering over him during this process. Yeah, it's not, not going to be pretty for him. I wanted to run over some of the, the Wall Street Journal's explanation for how this might go yeah. down. If his case goes to trial, his lawyers are likely to make an argument basically that this was lack of oversight and bad decisions, but that he didn't know that he was committing wrongdoing. That has to be his only yeah. defense at this point. Well, and that's been his, that's been his argument there. while he's talking to the press, right? He's like, well, yeah. you know, stuff happens. 
That's right. So two things that come to my mind. One is the prosecution is correct. He could have hundreds of millions of dollars stashed anywhere. And you offer anybody, again, $10, $20 million, they can help you get out of the country. Yeah. And this happened with Carlos Gosen, who was the former head of Nissan, and he was facing criminal prosecution in Japan. And he had a a father-son military team. They were like special forces or Green Beret or something. They got him out and got him back to, I guess, Lebanon. Unfortunately, the father and son, they're in jail in Japan for doing that. But that's what they're worried about. The second thing is you're mentioning the parents and they sort of laugh at the reference of him being a fugitive. Those parents, as you said, they're connected to him in his various real estate ventures with the multi-million dollar condos. And the other thing is one of the charges, according to the District of New York, is the campaign finance irregularities so that he was using people to funnel illegal donations campaign. Could could those people also be his parents? Right? Could be. Could be, yeah. And it, they're they're talking, by the way, some of the reporting on this and rumors about this. I don't this isn't all nailed down yet and will be during an investigation and trial, but it's like many, many millions of dollars of fraudulently like FEC violating donations. Yeah. So we will presumably find out more about that. The part about where he's just a bad businessman and he couldn't know that any of this was bad. Right. I mean, my dude, you went to MIT. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I just look, I'm as on board as anybody with the idea that like higher education is becoming more and more worthless and you're not really learning anything. Sure. But the son of Stanford professors who went to MIT, I think probably knew what was fraudulent and what was not. Yeah, I mean, this is this is like you know the head of the the former head of the Genovese crime family pretending to have dementia, and he had done it for decades, you know. But it was you know, but uh, prosecution was you know was always convinced that it was all an act and that he was in fact a mastermind, and that's how it went down, you know, where he ended well, up going to jail. I believe Elizabeth Holmes tried to make this argument as well that she was just a well-intentioned but bad entrepreneur and she had big dreams. Yeah, and those dreams fell short. But that didn't work for her, and she's in jail for 11 years. The, I have to say, the more I watch these fraud, true crime shows yep. on Netflix, I think we're not hard enough on fraudsters as a society. No. It no. is. I'm it's crazy that. the short yeah. sentences these people get. They just, and I'm, even the smallish time ones who take, you know, tens of thousands on hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. from people, they ruin their lives. And then they're yeah. like in jail for three years. It's crazy. No. And you know what happens after that? Lecture circuit, you know, I mean, you catch just me if you paid. can. Yeah, no, you give speeches or say Jordan Belfort, right? And Wolf of yeah. Wall Street. You can and get you, just, you can get the best Spielberg so movie of the last 20 years. Yeah, no, totally. I was thinking about what the so FTX has a new caretaker, John Ray, and he called this. He said this is at the end of the day, this is just old fat quote, old fashioned embezzlement. Yeah. That's all it is. He actually it's not very good one either because they were using QuickBooks. You know, on their little I also, Slack channel. I also read somewhere that one of their chat groups was called Wire Fraud. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So that the is, whole thing is that is some Gen Z BS right there. Yeah, Don't yeah. name the group chat Wire Fraud, guys. It's little, it's a little too on the nose. Yeah. Even the, if it's um, ironic, don't do it. Even if it's ironic, we called it that because we knew it wasn't. <laughs> the idea that he was taking the money from FTX, you know, investors' money, and putting it to shore up Alameda, but then. He was borrowing from Alameda, and he is himself the CEO. 
So he's borrowing from himself other people's money. It's, again, you can make the case, oh, he was just so caught up in this thing and he just knows so much about, you know, he's a mathematics genius and everything. He went to MIT. But it, he's not Rain Man, right? No. If this was Rain, if this was Dustin Hoffman, I could say, okay, okay, fine. I'll give it, you know, he didn't know what was happening. He can count all the matches in the, in, in, in the matchbook, but he doesn't know what's happening. This guy knew. He knew. This guy knew. And you know what else is going to be interesting, Mary Catherine, is the associate slash girlfriend, yes. Caroline Ellison. Right. Because she's lawyered up. Well, she's smarter than he was. <laughs> yeah. In fact, one of her, her Don't lawyers, talk. Don't talk, guys. Don't talk. I don't think she said a word. One of her lawyers, and they're all going to get rounded up at some point, right? I mean, this is what's already happening with his associates in the Bahamas. She has hired Anjan Sani, who is a former prosecutor in the Bernie Madoff case. Oh, nice. So might as well do that. But the question is, you know, how many of these people are going to flip if they haven't already? I'd flip. I have not. I know you. I not, I'm not spending an hour at no. Fort Fox Hill. Please. <laughs> I like the Bahamas, but not that much. Snitches get not Fox Hill sweets. No, yeah. No, <laughs> All righty. Speaking of fraudsters, let's move on to the press, shall we? We have Philip Bump in the Washington Post. I just got to complain about this, Vic. It's a, it was a really interesting choice that you wanted to focus on here. You sent me the link to this. I don't read Philip Bump. so And then I'm thinking, is it Philip Rucker? I get Philip Kennecott. I get confused with all the Phil's. It's analysis. It's an analysis. I read this column in the Washington Post. Go ahead. Tell What is is this about? This is an analysis, everyone, from the Washington Post. And it is entitled, The Sliding Definition of Lockdown in U.S. Politics. I'm just going to read some of it and then complain. That's what I'm going to do. Okay? (laughs) Because I'm tired. Yeah. I am tired of being gaslit. I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Okay. When the novel coronavirus appeared in the United States in early 2020, experts, both medical and political, had little information about how best to handle it. It seemed, based on preliminary and ultimately inaccurate information, to spread through contact, meaning that the focus became handwashing and Clorox wipes instead of covering one's mouth. There was, however, full understanding that of of that lack of certainty, meaning that authorities tended to err on the side of caution to keep the virus as contained as possible and limit its damage. Okay, cool, Philip. I think we all understand what one week in March looked like. Got it. All right, let's move on. What followed the virus's arrival then was an ad hoc effort to restrict person-to-person interactions as much as possible. Bans on large gatherings were implemented and recommendations were made to remain at home as much as possible with compliance voluntary. The hard and fast prohibitions centered on places where people might tend to congregate, such as bars and schools. It was a restriction of options more than a restriction of activity. Is that how you remember it, Vic? You know what I remember? I remember going into a supermarket and having to follow the arrows of which way to get, do your shopping. And this was at a, a Safeway in Arlington, which I don't normally go to, and I want to get. I went to get coffee, right? And I realized I got whole bean. I need to get ground, which mm-hmm. happens to be like just maybe four feet behind that. So I turn. Oh no! You wrong way feet. drove. You wrong way a drove wrong way on a drove. coronavirus grocery aisle. And a guy who is at the very back of the the aisle sees me and still and he's wearing 
he's wearing a, what do you call it? A, like a handkerchief on his face. You know what I mean? So he's covering, he had like a mask, but he also had one of those things on and his sunglasses. And he just said, stop, stop, stop. You're going the wrong way. He the could, virus he doesn't not, go this way. He would, the virus, yeah, you can't go that. That's the way the virus goes. You go, it goes backwards in the aisle. People um, lost their minds. So I'll, I'll, their minds. I, I get it. Okay. Let me just say this. I get it. You know, they didn't solder us in our doors, no, right? So that's, and slip us a piece of cabbage. That's but. the actual. That's the actual argument. Is that as yeah. lo- that's the argument of this column? As long as we were not Wuhan, then as long true. as we were not, not welded into buildings, yeah. then you weren't locked down. Then you were not locked down. Now he that's interestingly a literal a literal interpretation of lockdown. Yes. Yeah, sure. Now. I, I like that our writer friend here is using the passive voice several times in this in this paragraph. Why? Because if he didn't use the passive voice, he would have to say that the government made rules that mm-hmm. you couldn't do these things. Yeah. These were like it just blows my mind that people look back on the last two years, which I would say, especially in that first year of pandemic policy, some of the widest spread like out there limitations on broad-based freedoms that we all understand belong to us, Mm -hmm. such as Mm -hmm. church going or Mm -hmm. restaurant going or being with more than 10 people at one time. Yeah. These were government restrictions that could be enforced by law enforcement. Like this is, (laughs) they could come to you and make you stop doing these things. It's a great observation, by the way. Schools were closed. Churches were closed. (laughs) By whom? Yeah, by whom, guys? And you were not allowed to set foot in these places or you would be in trouble. And if you held church services, you could be apprehended by law enforcement. Like yeah. it, it wasn't merely a suggestion in many, many places. I'd, I went to an Easter egg hunt where the neighbor threatened to call the police on us in March or April of 2020, I guess, because it was 12 people outdoors for a gathering. So with children yeah. and adults, we were technically over the limit. Of what the government of Virginia yeah, had said right. was allowed. But this is not, that's not a lockdown. No. A colleague of mine was telling me the same thing up in Michigan where neighbors had reported that they had been spotted, that people were coming to their house, there were too many cars, and that there were more than the limit of people who are allowed to visit your home. And neighbors are calling, are, are ratting out neighbors. Yeah. To the government. It's nothing like an authoritarian society, though. Don't worry, guys. So Philip goes on. This was appreciably different from what had already been underway in China. Their movement was at times restricted entirely as the autocratic government sought to stamp out transmission of the virus in one fell swoop. So these were lockdowns in a literal sense. Now, forget that folks like Philip Bump and the the entire Washington Post, the entire media class, was arguing for harsher lockdowns. Like, the only reason we didn't have harsher ones is A, because we live in a free society that has a pretty strong yeah. foundation, and B, people fought back. Yeah. It was it was unfortunate that we lived in a free society. Yeah, no, no, Remember, that, was the, that they, was the argument. Yeah. They marveled at how efficient China was in tamping down, and they told us we had they had no cases. Yeah. So he says the effects of this have, have lingered. Over the past three years, the idea that the United States had a system of lockdowns has persisted and an array of responses to the virus has been loosely grouped under that umbrella, including remote schooling, restaurant closings, restrictions on entering facilities. Well, it does seem like closed schools, closed restaurants, and restrictions on entering facilities 
enforced by the government might yeah. be something that someone would think of as lockdowns. Again, your definition is very broad, Mary Catherine. <laughs> if Some it, of it, the closures. It's not Wuhan. This yeah. is a nice, uh, he, he does a tip of the cap. Some of the closures and limits, arguably or demonstrably, incurred more costs than the value they offered, but none were, quote, lockdowns in the Wuhan sense. Well, thank God. By the way, again, the Washington Post would have argued for them to be lockdowns in the Wuhan sense. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, just a, it's just a lot of retconning. No. And then he goes on to say, of course, that Democratic leaders and locations moved first to impose restrictions because the virus spread more widely yeah. in those areas. Then he notes that Florida Governor DeSantis announced a closure of bars and restaurants for 30 days. Again, 30 days. I, I will give you the first couple of months. Yeah, yeah nobody knew anything. And then he, he, sort of, he sort of just pegs Trump and DeSantis and conservatives as hypocrites because they changed their minds about lockdowns. Yes, be, be, because of the polls. And politics drove their terrible decision to reopen the, the, their, their state. When and we all fact, know how that went. When in fact, there were two very different approaches. One required looking at a free society and going, uh, maybe I should give these people as much freedom as possible when mm -hmm. we're in this bad situation. And as the science evolves, we give them as much freedom as possible based on what we know. That turned out to be the better approach, guys. Yeah. And it was almost uniformly embraced only by Republicans. So, like, it ain't my fault that that's partisan. It's going to get to the point, though, where this whole counter narrative is going to end up downplaying the reopening of states like Florida and, 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 and wherever else. And, and that, you know, it's just, it's all a blur. California, Florida, Michigan. I'm sure it was all the same. All the same. When, yeah. You, you remember in Michigan, you couldn't, you know, the, the, again, under Gretchen Whitmer, you know, you couldn't sell seed. Yeah. Yeah. In supermarket, you know, big stores were open. The big box stores were open, but the small, the small mom and pops were not. And again, as you mentioned, conceded that first month or two, nobody knew anything. You look back on it, though. People's reactions were insane. And I just finished this book, by the way, Cabin Fever, about the Holland America Zandam yeah. ship. It left out of basically Buenos Aires. It was going to go around through the Strait of Magellan and then up and through the, you know, up to San Diego, or the canal or wherever. And everywhere turned them down. Nobody wanted them. And they eventually ended up, you know, at Port, back at Port Everglades, like a month or two later on, a month or so later. And Trump did not want to... People did not like the cruise ship people, right? So yeah. Trump punted on this. DeSantis said this is really a local issue. It was up to Broward County. And you know what Broward County's concern was? We let these people out. Who's going to spray down the luggage? Yeah. Because yeah. that's what they thought. Yeah. You know? Just to, to I'll, I'll wrap this up on old Phil here, but. Yeah. He says that Biden has pushed Americans with decreasing force as time goes on to take steps to combat the virus. By the way, vaccine mandates are still in place in many, many places by government order. Just, just FYI, everyone. We're also in the middle. We're still in the middle of a COVID emergency. Oh, and it took it took till what several months ago to get masks off of Head Start toddlers. Like these are not small things. Anyway, means that he, not Trump, is seen by much of the country as the lockdown president and his party as the lockdown party. More because that perception is useful to Biden's opponents than because it's accurate. Because in short, it fits into the longstanding frame of Democrats as the party of big government intrusion and Republicans as the party of do what you want. Okay, well, let's just take Gretchen Whitmer mm -hmm. versus Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Of those two, looking at their policies, one was very clearly, 
I don't know, a governor of big government intrusion, and one was more clearly a governor of do what you want. There's a reason that those things align with Gavin, the two parties. Or Gavin, New- or Gavin Newsom, for that matter. No, the, 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 the pushback on that, Mary Catherine, is, well, like I said, in March 2020, DeSantis also shut down the yeah. state. So mm-hmm. there you yeah. go. By the way, I like that he also just uses the term shutdown. So I guess if we just use shut, you know, it's okay to shut down all of society. You just... Not lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just arguing for shutting it down by government force. It's not a lockdown per se. Stop letting these people gaslight you. You lived through what you lived through. If you lived in a red state, you had a lot more freedom than you did in a blue state or a blue area. That's just... right. That ain't... That's not my tribalism. It's just true. I, I remember even the building, this building right here where, where, where we work, you could be the only person, you know, in the hallway, in the corridor. You had to have that mask on because you might get it from the plant. I don't know. This is the new thing, by the way. They're, they're, and, and, and there were markers on the floor. Yeah. Walk this way. Walk the other way. Stand in the elevator. You must stand on this circle. I, I, it's so funny, and I know that Twitter is not a reflection of real life because people really, the, the ones with the most neuroses go to Twitter, but I see yeah, these tweets that are like, just from March 2020, and I'm like, the, the thing about DeSantis and others changing their minds is like, mm-hmm. obviously all of politics is a little political, but the default always should have been that we are a free society and we can't deal with this the way that China is. Right. And also, as we learned new science, it turned out we didn't need to do those things. Yeah. And nonetheless, universal masking is still this like holy grail for people when it's a really, really minimally effective intervention, if at all. Like right. really not at all. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give like a little credit to these people who think this. You're not gonna get rid of respiratory diseases forever, guys. It's just not a thing. And shutting down, I'll give there you go, Philip. Shutting down society is not gonna make it happen. Well said. Anyway. Well said. That's analysis from the Washington Post, yeah. everyone. So Ruth, Ruth Marcus in the Washington Post gave Brett Kavanaugh a hard time for attending an American Conservative Union Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not like he's being invited to a bunch of other parties in Georgetown at these townhouses. Because well, this- she thinks, oh, he, it's, it's, he really should get out more and, and, and not just be with his own people who agree with him. Why doesn't he go anywhere else? Yo, why doesn't he go out to Busboys and Poets? I'm sure that would be that would go over no, really well. It's such a great argument, right? She's like, this is the fact that the fact that we would inevitably people like me at a at a party, liberals, would inevitably treat him like a piece of expletive yeah. the moment he walked in the door and he won't come to those parties, which by the way, we didn't invite him to means it's just confirmation that he's a partisan actor yeah (laughs) all of them it's like he doesn't want to come to your christmas party and you don't want him at your christmas party and part of the reason he doesn't want to come to your christmas party is because you hate him again i again i i I wrote i had to write it down because i i was going to forget but you know again think about kirsten nielsen the former head of homeland security under trump she went to mxdc the restaurant the mexican restaurant in the city and she got booed out of the place she left. And then Red Hen in Virginia, you know, where Sarah Huckabee Sanders went, and the owner refused her service. You know, they said, they said, we'll give her a glass of water, but otherwise we're not going to feed her because she's intolerant and we cannot, to- you know, those people, we hate intolerant people. By the way, you're not allowed to eat here. Yeah. Well, and in, and in order for you to become more tolerant, Vic, you have to go to the places where you'll be kicked out. Yeah. And then you can prove yeah. that you're 
I don't. That's right. And the people who kick you out, they're not the intolerant ones. Something tells me that Ruth Marcus has not been in a position like this. <laughs> Boot out of a restaurant? Yeah. Okay. Also, you're not in charge of the people who are invited to a party that you might be at. Like, you're, if you didn't write the get li- guest list, you didn't write the guest list. So, no. Just, just show up. Anyway. Okay. Virginia Tech soccer yeah. player. I want to get to this story just because I increasingly, as a non-litigious person, I increasingly have, am of the mind that you got to sue the F out of these people, man. So a judge recently ruled that a former Virginia Tech women's soccer player can continue a lawsuit against her former coach after she was allegedly benched and pressured to leave the team for declining to kneel during a pregame social justice demonstration. She said she, this is Kirsten Henning was her name, who was a midfielder and defender from 2018 to 2020, and she often disagreed with her coach, Charles Chugger Adair, on political issues and differed from her her teammates as well on things like their position on Black Lives Matter or social justice stuff. She explains that while she supports social justice and believes that Black Lives Matter, she does not support BLM, the organization, and its tactics and core tenets, including defunding the police. So it says that the coach berated her, benched her, ultimately made things so intolerable that she felt compelled to quit the team. She got a ton of playing time in her freshman and sophomore years. And then after she disagreed with the coach and didn't do the kneeling, she allegedly got much less. Well, she did get much less playing time. The question is why she got much less playing time down to like five minutes in one game Mm -hmm. from her former top lines of like 80 minutes a game. So that is that's quite that's quite a jump down but it's a first amendment issue the the court concludes and so she can go forward with this i'm going to say again like like you're saying good for her i hope she wins but the bigger picture of course again is you know just another classic example of political cowardice on the part of people in these positions of authority so it's like it's easy the easy way out is just to do what everyone wants you to do and force you to do something that you don't agree with. Do you remember in the summer, I guess, of 2020 into the fall or even after that, the protesters who marched through the city and they go past restaurants where people are dining outside al fresco because yes. it's you know, COVID. And they would say, stand up and raise your fists in solidarity. And the videos were horrendous because they would berate you if you sat down and did not agree with them. But the ones who stood up they look pathetic. No, I was and so. I saw a woman weekly, weekly, like raising her arm in a no. fist with a with a frown on her face. Give me a break. It was so. It was very sad. It was. I found those videos to be some of the more chilling ones of 2020, yeah. which is saying something. But it was just roving groups of yeah. protesters who would go to patios and demand that everyone who was enjoying their dinner or trying mm-hmm. to in D.C. should raise their fists in solidarity with this group and just say whatever the group wanted them to say. There were various slogans that were forced upon the diners. And I was so proud of people who sat there and refused to do it. Yeah. Because I would, look, I don't want to overstate my own courage, but like I do have a stubborn streak. And if you're yelling at me in the street to say something, because you want to compel my speech, that's not going to work for me, probably to the point of, not a great outcome for me. <laughs> like, like it could, these things can be very dangerous. So I always, I admired those who didn't cave yeah. and they would just sit there and stare at these people while they're yelling at them. 
But look, that's compelled speech. And whether it's the left or the right compelling your speech, you shouldn't have to do it. So this is has been deemed a First Amendment issue, said the, the, the court says, while the U.S. Supreme Court and the Fourth Circuit may not have addressed the novel factual circumstances presented here, i.e. a college coach allegedly retaliating against a player for right. refusing to kneel with her coaches and teammates in support of perceived unity and social justice, the core constitutional principle is both clearly established and fundamental to a free society and especially to an institution of higher education. So that notion will be tested and at least the school has to like, or and this coach has to like, Defend themselves. Good. Yeah. They should have to go to some trouble here. Yeah. Explain why. So. Okay. Ugh. Well, you know what? Speaking of D.C. restaurants where you can get yelled at in the street. Yeah. That's right. It leads us to this story. This perhaps not surprising headline. 2022 was a year of reckoning for D.C. restaurants. This is reported in Axios. 48 restaurants in D.C. closed in 2022. This is up from 40 in 2021. Note, of course, that 2022 was supposed to be the comeback year. This is the year that we're like lifting, lifting yeah. the non-existent lockdown restrictions. <laughs> and right. everybody should be out and about. Riddle me that, Phil Bump. Why, why did all these restaurants close? Surely it's not that people were restricted from patronizing them. Well, here's the thing. These restaurants are dying because a lot of people just aren't going back to the office. And particularly, you know, you talk about restaurants, coffee shops, and retail. I remember downtown used to be thriving. Yes. Crowded. Now, the only thing, it's like a ghost town. And the only thing is, it's, it's, it's empty streets except for like homeless tents. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that these are government workers and the government is not compelling a lot of these people to come back. And I remember reading the story. I remember seeing comments about the story and comments from government, government workers saying, I'm sorry, you want me to go back to the office to help these people? I don't think so. Yeah. You know, they should just move their restaurants closer to me, you know, to my home. And so what you see is it's, it's very sad. People, they're trying to not go back to the way things were. They're trying to create this new normal. But that's a very, for the nation's capital. I mean, there are a lot of other cities where things are pretty much coming back, but, yeah. you know, I think a lot of it has to do with government workers. Well, and again, and like, well, and like all of these sort of leftovers of pandemic, no pun intended, but leftovers of pandemic yeah. policy, the costs and benefits were never really analyzed. The risk was never really taken to, into account. As I joked when I sent my, my friend Bethany Mandel, who was somewhat infamously dubbed the grandma killer in April of 2020 yes. for tweeting that like, hey, a bunch of things are going to close if people who are young and healthy and not mm -hmm. very susceptible don't go out and pay for these services. Like yeah. museums are not going to exist anymore. These restaurants are not going to exist anymore. And, you know, I don't want that taken from my family and my children's future. Call me a grandma killer if you will. <laughs> and then they all did. But if only there had been a few more grandma killers. <laughs> Well, that is one way to put it. Like, Indeed. no, but I'm, I'm, I'm being. No, they, they, I remember because they because had, they had to get like restaurant, you know, aid from the government, right? Right. From well, the, and that's I, why a lot of them stuck around for 2020, is that yep. they were having cash handed to them. Yep. Then you deal with what the you're loans. talking about, Vic, which for many Forgivable people, loans. not just the commuting part and the remote working, mm -hmm. but just habits that are broken. I mean, yeah. we used to go to brunch as a family at a local place pretty much once every weekend mm -hmm. 
before 2020. And then when we were restricted from doing so for a couple of months, it it fell out of the family plan, you know? And yeah. then yeah. once that habit is broken, I think movie, movie going is like this. Yeah. Where people just don't go back to doing it. These were all risks that frankly were known and should have been recognized at the time. And the fact that we're having, we're seeing the repercussions two years later does not surprise me. In addition, and this is not mentioned in this story, which I find interesting, but another story from Washington. Oh, I know what you want to talk about. Yeah. Just, just, just making DC restaurants go through hell here. Initiative 82 passed back in November. Let me explain a little bit of that to you. This is from the Washingtonian. It's a DC ballot measure aimed at phasing out the tipped minimum wage passed last night in November with nearly 75% of the vote. Incrementally, over the next five years, employers will go from paying servers, bartenders, and other tipped workers at least $5.35 an hour to more than triple that. Currently, those employees can earn the majority of their wages from gratuities, and businesses are legally required to make up the difference if anyone falls short of the 16.10 minimum wage. First increase is slated to come in January when the tipped wage rises to $6 an hour. It bumps to 8 by July, then $2 more every year until 2027, when there will be one universal minimum wage. By then, they'll be demanding that the minimum wage is like 40 Well, so. of course. Of course. I mean, the minimum wage should be $1,000 an hour, and then everybody yeah. would be rich. Just print more money. Because economics. So, <laughs> so they interviewed five restaurant owners at that time about what they were going to do about this. And they're all like, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm going to add a surcharge. And then the in the current inflation plus a surcharge plus this confusion about tipped minimum wage, customers are going to continue to stay home. Yeah. You, we're not making this a pleasant experience for them. And there are several quotes that are pretty devastating about just like, well, I'm not going to open That's any more exactly restaurants. Right. That's Jamie That's Leeds. It. Chef and yep. owner of Hank's Oyster Hanks. Bar. One right off the top of the list is that I will not open another restaurant in D.C. That's for sure. That's not happening because of this. Yeah. That and, of course, passing on the cost to the customer. Yeah. And, of course, and, it, and for the customer, it's just confusion. So you don't – do we not tip the 20% or however much we tip anymore? That just seems weird. Well, that's what they were discussing is, like, do we put a PSA on our restaurant menus that says, yeah. like, you can take your tip down to 10% because we're already covering some of this. It just seems rude. Yeah. And then you feel like a jerk, right? Yeah. Uh, but but and at, at the end of the day, what is it comes down to, as always, unintended consequences. You know, that these these people, you know, you know, the road to you know, the road to hell paved with good intentions and all, they just fail to game this out. Yeah. And so you're gonna see what happens. It, it's just not Again, when I had my high school buddies were visiting town, they, you know, they hadn't been here in many years. They wanted to hang out in D.C. I said, come don't, down to Old Don't do it, man. Don't do it. I said, come down to Old Town, Old Town, Alexandria. Everything's thriving. Everything is open. The, the places were packed, and it was great, and it was safe, and we had a great time. This, so, is, the, this is, by the way, the owner of Rasika and Annabelle. These are like very high-end restaurants. This oh, goes, yeah. This, these interviews go all across the, that, you know, the level buddy, of restaurants. That's my buddy, Ashok Bajaj. Yes. Yeah. So he says... You have seven waiters, seven support staff. It's an extra $300,000 a year, plus payroll taxes, unemployment taxes, insurance. Do you really think the restaurant makes that much money to absorb that? Not mine. Everybody has to do a service charge. We did a few practices in the office, and we all think a 20% service charge may be the way to go. So sort of like going out for a large dinner with a large group, and they add the gratuity already, except then you're going to add gratuity to that. Yeah, that's right. Really quickly, a quick anecdote. I 
Ashok Bajaj, who owns the Bombay Club and all these places, you know, originally from India, started in London and then came to the United States. So great. My favorite quote from him is because he owns like several hundred suits. Every day he wears a suit. And he was once asked, well, do you ever wear a T-shirt? And he said, well, he said, uh, of course, like a, like a collared shirt, like a polo shirt. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll wear that on the weekend. He doesn't know and, what a T-shirt is. No. And so they said, no, no, like a non-collared shirt. And he just goes, oh, no. Like, no, why would I do that? That makes no sense. Well, who am He's I? He's a great guy. Who am I, Sam Bankman-Fried? Yeah, um, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Everyone do their part to help restaurants. I'm doing my part in about 30 minutes. Yes, there you go. So there you go. Go ahead, Mary Catherine. You're going to say something. Yeah, I just, this is, by the way, we have to get at some point also to the Venmo taxing situation, but I love the unintended consequences of the unadvertised consequences of all these policies is just that like little guys are going to suffer. Like smaller businesses, things that you love, people who do $600 of transactions on Venmo, the Mm -hmm. well-meaning libs among us are going to get you. And this yeah. is how they're doing it. So we'll talk more about that. Trust no one but us. Go ahead, Vic. What a great way to end the show. <laughs> that wraps up another edition of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can follow me on Twitter at Victorina Mattis. I am at MK Hammer pretty much everywhere. At MK Hammer Time on Instagram. Thanks for being with us. Oh, for when I have this baby, please email us. Hammered at nebulouspodcasts.com. And tell us your favorite moments from the year. If you have things that you remember, rants that you love, send them our way and we'll put them together maybe for a end of year best of for when I'm out with this baby for whatever amount of time I'm doing that. <laughs> we'll keep you posted. This has been a Nebulous Media Podcast. 